Luke is a masterful artist in the way that he has put together his gospel. We've explored many of the themes of Luke throughout this Lenten season, but this morning we really have a front row seat to some of the subtle artistry he uses. Um, But like many artists, I don't always recognize just how masterful they are until someone points out some of the real subtleties that are interesting. And what Luke does in our reading today is very subtle and something that only he does. So I really want to make sure we don't miss it. In fact, this was something that I was unaware of until just a few years ago when someone pointed it out to me. For starters, Luke tweaks what the crowds are shouting as Jesus rides into town. It's there in chapter 19, verse 38, if you want to take a look again at that passage. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they shout, and that part sounds pretty familiar, right, for this Sunday. That's what we're used to hearing on Palm Sunday. But did you catch what came next out of the crowd's mouth? Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. That's not what we're used to for Palm Sunday. It's a little familiar, but it's not supposed to be on this day, right? It's actually a whole lot like something else that only Luke writes about. In Luke chapter 2, when that choir of angels shows up to a group of shepherds just outside of Bethlehem and announcing the Savior, the angels sing glory in the highest heaven and peace on earth. It's similar verbs here, similar words. And, And remember, Luke's the only one to tell us that story. He's putting in the mouth of the angels and the mouth of the crowds on this day the same words, which means that something's going on here. Luke is trying to make a connection for us. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, Luke is actually pointing back to that mysterious moment when Jesus enters the world. So something about what's happening here on this Palm Sunday is apparently paralleled to what happened in Bethlehem to that on that mysterious Christian night, Bethlehem and Jerusalem are connected for Luke. In fact, this is not the only way that Luke connects the two. Here in this moment, as the crowd is preparing the way for Jesus, as Jesus is getting ready to enter Jerusalem, Luke includes something else that is unique to his telling of the story, something that also points back to the beginning of the story, actually back to the birth of John the Baptist, who was to prepare the way for the Messiah. Let me explain this. Jesus is parading into Jerusalem, and we're used to picturing it as a big party, right? That's how we imagine Palm Sunday. Maybe there's kids dancing around, the disciples are beaming, it's an exciting day, the crowds are full of excitement too. This is the picture we have in our minds. And that's probably a big part of what happened. All these people are gathering and have been gathering around Jesus for chapter after chapter now. They've encountered something profound in Jesus, and we've heard a lot of their stories. Who knows? Maybe in this crowd, Zacchaeus is there, and he's trying to stand up tall so he can see. Or maybe he's riding up on one of the disciples' shoulders. I don't know. Maybe in the crowd there's blind Bartimaeus who is now seeing Bartimaeus. 
which doesn't have nearly as nice of a ring to it. But Bartimaeus, he's now there and he's dancing down the road with the rest of them. And Luke tells us that in the crowd that was full of the women disciples that have been supporting Jesus, women who were finally given dignity and hope by the way that Jesus treated them. So you've got Mary Magdalene and you've got Martha and Mary of Bethany and their brother Lazarus. Maybe maybe others that we've heard of in the Gospels were there too. Maybe the bent over woman who's now standing up straight is walking with them. I don't know. But what I do know is that At the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, and he's been heading that way for 10 chapters now, and the crowd has been growing, and here they are celebrating and excited. But as Jerusalem comes into view over the horizon, and the celebration continues all around him, Jesus' own demeanor begins to change. And maybe no one noticed it, being that they're all caught up in the excitement. But if you were there, and you had taken time to look deeply into Jesus' face, you might have seen it. His eyes welling up with tears. Tears collecting in the corners of his eyes, and then begin to drip down his cheek and wet his beard. As they approach the city and Jesus sees Jerusalem growing on the horizon, he wept, Luke says. It's a little out of place, isn't it? I I think we would have felt it was kind of out of place if we were in the crowd. At first, maybe if someone noticed, maybe they thought it was tears of joy as they were getting closer to Jerusalem, their beloved city, but there is actually no joy in these tears. A few of them might have been inclined to think, well, maybe these are tears about the suffering that is to come for Jesus in Jerusalem. After all, he has told them three times now about what could take place there. But the tears on Jesus's face are not really of self-pity either or tears of fear, or tears of despair. Not not on this day, anyway. These are the tears of a heart that is breaking for those you love. You know those kinds of tears? You probably do. They're the tears that well up within you when you begin to see somebody else's deep suffering. Tears of Jesus, they're like the tears of a parent who's watching their child struggle or their child make choices that they know will lead to pain for them. They're the tears of a friend sitting in the living room hearing about the affair that just came to light. They are the tears of a sister who's watching bitterness grow between her two brothers They are the tears that I know you have shed and I have shed at times over those we love and tears we've shed even on occasion over the suffering of our world. The tears coming down Jesus' cheeks, they are the tears of a God whose love runs so deep 
that God's heart breaks by all the ways we are closed off to that love. All the ways that our fears blind us to that love. All the ways that we're either unwilling or maybe just unable to deeply trust that love. These are the tears of Jesus on this day. His tears, they well up from the deep and profound love that God has for the world. Luke says Jesus weeps as he watches Jerusalem come into focus, not for himself, but for just how lost and self-destructive we are. If only you knew, Jesus said, on this of all days, the things that lead to peace but now they are hidden from your eyes. And this is where Luke once again ties Jerusalem all the way back to Bethlehem. The words that Jesus speaks now with a broken heart is actually this kind of ironic allusion to the words that John the Baptist's daddy spoke with a joyful heart just after he was born. Do you remember that story? It's the passage that our church's name comes from. Zechariah, John the Baptist's daddy, is mute because he didn't believe an angel when the angel told him that he and his wife, Elizabeth, would have a baby. And so he couldn't talk during that pregnancy until their baby was born. And Zechariah wrote down, his name is John. And at that moment, his tongue was loosened. And he began to sing with joy over this new baby. And he's saying these words that you've heard before. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of sins, by the tender mercy of our God, the day spring on high will break upon us, will visit us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's what John the Baptist's daddy sang at his birth just weeks before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And now, some 33 years later, Jesus, his heart isn't full of joy. It's broken and he weeps over Jerusalem because of the things that lead to peace. That way of peace has been hidden from our eyes. And why is it hidden? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This is the key here, that word visitation. It's the very same Greek word that Luke used way back at the beginning as John's daddy sang. By the tender mercy of our God, the day spring from on high will visit us, will break upon us. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says that the people do not recognize now the visitation of our God, the presence of our God breaking upon us. You see the irony here? 
here on this Palm Sunday moment, as Jesus rides towards Jerusalem, the day spring is rising upon them. The visitation of God is coming. The day spring is there to guide our feet into the way of peace. But Jerusalem does not recognize that visitation. On this day of all days, Jesus says, they don't recognize the light that is rising upon them that can lead to the path of peace. And and Jesus begins to know and recognize all that they will miss and all the pain that will come to them because they do not recognize it. And as he begins to reflect on that, with Jerusalem coming into his view, his heart begins to break and tears begin to fall down his cheeks. You see, these are the tears of a heart that's breaking for the one you love. They are the tears of a God whose heart breaks for a world that does not know the way that leads to peace, to wholeness, to thriving for all. It's kind of a different picture of God than we sometimes have in the background of our own hearts, isn't it? This certainly isn't an angry God. This isn't a God who is deeply disappointed in you because you let God down. You didn't do what God had for you. This is a broken-hearted God. Because of all the things that we allow into our lives simply because we're unwilling or maybe unable to see the divine grace that is visiting us, just like the morning sun. And when we fail to see it and we don't recognize it, It just leads to destruction in our life. It did certainly in Jesus' time, and it did a few decades later when Luke was writing down the story. You see, when Jesus starts talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that they will experience, he's, he's referring to multiple things here. On the one hand, Luke is writing this down, and he's remembering Jesus' words, and the way that they all seem to point to this actual literal destruction of Jerusalem that happened about 35 years later after Jesus' death and resurrection. By the time Luke is writing the story down, Jerusalem had been actually destroyed. The, The Jewish people, they had tried to throw off Rome in order to find their own kind of political peace, but they did not recognize the things that bring real peace. And their political revolution only led to Rome marching in to destroy them. So on one level, Jesus is weeping for this literal destruction that he can see will surely come, and Luke's reminding us does come decades later. But but I think there's more here. On another level, Jesus is weeping because he knows the destruction that's coming that very week as he parades into Jerusalem. The religious leaders, they get nervous. We heard about it there just now, didn't we? In the reading, Jesus, tell your, your disciples to be quiet. It'll cause a, a ruckus. The Rome, they're going to hear about it, and, and they might come in and destroy us. They all get nervous, and, and they're feeling threatened. 
And, and so the only way they can imagine to keep the peace, to keep the status quo, well, it's to get rid of Jesus. Eventually, the high priest says as much that very week, don't you see, everyone, that it's better that one man die for his people than all of us, the entire nation, be destroyed? And so the political and the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, they'll make a decision to do what is politically expedient in order to keep the status quo, to keep the peace. And things get in motion that will lead crowds of people to shout, crucify that Jesus of Nazareth. We have no king but Caesar. No king but Caesar. The religious leaders, they're just trying to keep the peace, but they lead the people to their own profound destruction in which they not only reject Jesus as their king, they reject the way of Jesus as their kingdom. We have no king but Caesar. They do not see that divine grace is visiting them in Jesus. Their eyes are blind by the darkness of the powers of their day, and it leads to their destruction. You see, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that day, his heart breaks and he begins to weep, but he's not weeping for himself. He's weeping for all those who have been led to trust in political expediency over the way of the kingdom of God. He's he's weeping for all those who've been led to trust in the myth of redemptive violence, the myth that says somehow violence will create peace for us, will will kill a few to keep the status quo. Jesus weeps for all those who would rather trust the status quo than take a chance on the vision of the kingdom, take a chance on what God is calling us to. This is what the tears of Christ are about. The profound love of God is rising upon them as Jesus rides towards Jerusalem, but they are blind to it. And he's not angry. He's not disappointed. Tears begin to fill his eyes because there's nothing more gut-wrenching than the people whom you love deeply, not knowing or seeing or embracing the profound love you have for them. All this is wrapped up in this part of the story that only Luke tells us about. Jesus is weeping for what is and what will be, and in this moment, we are discovering that this is exactly what the divine heart is like. It's maybe not what we have imagined. And so here on this Palm Sunday, yes, we have our branches, and yes, we sing Hosanna, and we should, but you know what? Still, I think the divine heart weeps for us 
It weeps for the anxieties that we wake up with each day, and it weeps for the fears that manipulate us. And the divine heart weeps for the loneliness that grips us and keeps us from recognizing that love is visiting us, that grace is rising upon us even now. God weeps for all that keeps us from recognizing that the day spring from on high is shining upon you in your own life. So let me invite you to open your eyes and look for it this Holy Week. Look deeply into the face of Jesus, into those piercing, commanding, compassionate, tear-stained eyes, and begin to discover that divine grace is breaking upon you. It, it is today, and it will be this week, and it will be in the coming days. And if you can see that, if you can just glimpse the heart of God towards you, if you can glimpse the divine grace that's breaking into moments of your life, trust that. Trust it enough to start to shape your life around that. Trust it enough so that even on the days when you cannot see it, you will choose to follow Jesus' inside-out, upside-down way of peace. Amen.